I want to draw your attention to one particular verse in Mark chapter 14 today, and it's verse 38. It's the main application of this text. Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Now, I believe that there is uh, something here that we are prone to forget. Um, let me illustrate in this way. I think one of the positive developments of what I'm seeing in worship songs these days is a shift from more subjective responses to more objective truths. Objective songs focus on what God has done and who he is, while subjective songs focus on our response to what God has done. And the truth is we need both types of um, songs, really. But there's a real danger if it's weighted too much to subjective songs that we're we might end up believing our own hype. And one of the lines that always used to give me pause for thought was from the song, Jesus, uh, My Jesus, My Savior. And we were encouraged to sing, forever I'll love you, forever I'll stand. Well, that's quite a bold claim, isn't it? Forever I'll love you, forever I'll stand. And I think it expresses what we hope to be true, but I think Mark chapter 14 would cause us to be concerned about overconfidence. Watch and pray so you will not fall into temptation. So I've got three points this morning or whenever you're watching this. Firstly, watch and pray to see the danger of self-confidence. It's their last meal together and Jesus made a shocking prediction. If you look at verse 18, truly I tell you, one of you will betray me. One who is eating with me. Now, who is he speaking to? To his disciples. Now, the response of them, most of them, was this. Surely you don't need me. But it gets more disturbing as Jesus predicts greater defection by the disciples. Look again at what Jesus says in verse 27. You will all fall away. All of them. By the end of the night, Jesus will stand completely alone. They're not going to actively rebel against Jesus in the way that Judas clearly did, but their sin is of a type that's much more common to us, I would say. Sins that come from not being prepared. Sins of weakness. Sins that come because we lack conviction and resolve. It's not that we plan to get up one day to sinfully deny Christ, but through a lack of awareness and preparation, when external events come upon us, we can, we can buckle and stumble and fall away. Now, how does Jesus know that this is true of them? Well, look at verse 27. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. He's quoting from Zechariah chapter 13, written over 400 years before. And if you were uh, if you read those closing chapters of Zechariah, we read some of it earlier in the service, you'll see that there are lots of key events that happen on that day. Back in Zechariah chapter 12, verse 12, it speaks of the Lord giving Jerusalem a cup to drink. Uh, later in chapter 12, verse 10, the Lord says, They will look on me, the one they have pierced, and they will mourn for him as one mourns for an only child. Chapter 13, verse 1, on that day, there shall be a fountain opened up for the house of David and the inhabitants of, inhabitants of Jerusalem to cleanse them from sin and impurity. And in 13, verse 7, awake sword against my shepherd, against the man who is close to me, declares the Lord Almighty. 
strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered and I will turn my hand against the little ones. Jesus was clearly meditating on that part of God's word as they walked that night up to the Mount of Olives. He was the shepherd who would be struck. They are the sheep that would be scattered. And who is doing the striking? Well, as we read Mark, it'll be the chief priests and the bloodthirsty mob and the Roman soldiers. But actually, as you look at the context of the words in Zechariah chapter 13, the incredible thing that Jesus understood was that behind all these human agents, the Lord Almighty would be the one who would strike him. As Jesus heads towards the cross, he's fully aware that his death is all part of a plan of salvation. Well, it looks like Peter stopped listening after the first few words, you will all fall away. This was just too much for, for Peter. And so he kind of blusters, uh, even if all fall away, I will not, he says in verse 29. Um, do you hear the self-reliance, the self-confidence? He sounds like one of those contestants on The Apprentice, uh, full of confidence, uh, about his faithfulness, his integrity, his courage. And it's a bit of an insult really about the rest of the disciples. Even if all the rest of them fall away, I, and he wouldn't be surprised if some of them fell away, but he certainly would not. He's made of tougher stuff. He's a bit more courageous. He's not going to fall away. Wow. We need to be warned, don't we? It's easy to become... Uh, self-confident despite the lack of evidence in past performance. Um, self-confidence doesn't worry about temptation and trials. We can handle it. Um, after all, we sing about it so much, forever I'll love you, forever I'll stand. You know, no sweat, no, no problem. Uh, Jesus interrupts Peter with this sobering prediction. Truly, I tell you, Jesus answered, Today, yes, tonight, before the cock crows twice, you yourself will disown me three times. For all the bravado, that very night after those bold words, he's going to blow it. Tonight, you will disown me three times, Peter. I mean, three times, that's not a momentary slip of weakness, is it? Three times. How quickly... Our convictions can wilt in testing times. But Peter does not have a realistic view of himself and he doubles down. Verse 31, even if I have to die with you, I will never disown you. And all the others said the same. Oh, we need to watch and pray because of the danger of self-confidence and self-reliance. The spirit is willing, but our flesh is weak. Secondly, Watch and pray to see the cost of our salvation. Look at verse 32 to 36. Mark writes in a way that actually takes us into the Garden of Gethsemane with Jesus. This is the night before his crucifixion. And Mark invites us to come and see what they saw as he writes the account. And so I think the invitation to watch and pray is extended to us. Look and meditate on these verses to see the cost of our salvation. We saw from Zechariah that the events of the cross were predicted and planned by 
God. The Bible clearly teaches that before the creation of the world, God had worked out this plan of salvation. All of history has been leading to this point. There's nothing unexpected here. Uh, for many chapters, Jesus has been predicting his death and resolutely heading to Jerusalem. Um, this is the culmination of a great plan. And surely this is going to be straightforward. Well, these verses help us to see that there was nothing automatic going on here. Watch and pray to see the cost of your salvation. Observe here what it meant for Jesus to be our saviour. We're not going to sit with most of the disciples who ordered to sit. We, we go with the three, even closer into the garden. And we're ordered to sit and watch nearer and watch Jesus pray. Here, these three men who had uttered so many um, glib understandings of what they thought Jesus would do. And we've just heard Peter's bold conference. He would never disown Jesus. But remember back to James and John. Their request to sit at his right hand and left hand when he got into his kingly glory. And Jesus said to him, can you drink the cup that I will drink or be baptized with the baptism I'm baptized with? Well, we can, they confidently and glibly said. He invites those three to come even nearer and to observe. Look at verse 33. It must have stunned them to see Jesus, who was always in control and with total authority, falling apart. He's strangely silent. He's agitated. His face and body show great distress and anxiety. And they hear him say, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. So overwhelmed is our savior that he feels like his heart is going to burst. And he says to him, stay here and keep watch. Staying, in, staying within earshot and eyesight of him, he walks further and throws himself to the ground and in anguish. He cried out to God, was there any other way that this hour of suffering and death could be avoided? What was it that caused him so much anguish? Was it the emotional pain of rejection and humiliation that was about to come? Was it the great physical pain of being tortured and, and the beatings and scourging and crucifixion? Well, that would be enough to cause any of us distress. But... It was something far greater that caused Jesus' distress. Look at his prayer, verse 36. Abba, Father, everything is possible for you. Take this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. In Mark 10, 45, we hear him saying that the Son of Man came to give his life as a ransom for many. That's an objective description of what's taking place. Here we see subjectively what it cost him to do this daddy he cried the disciples would never forget that intimate way that he talked to god as his father it was unheard of before the time of jesus and he knew this unique intimacy as he was the son of god and that he knew his father was not limited in any way everything is possible for you you're omnipotent take this cup from me now what is this cup it's symbolic language, isn't it? 
In Isaiah 51 verse 17, it says this, God speaks of making the people drink a cup of his wrath, a cup that would leave them staggering under the punishment of their sins. And as Jesus thinks about the hours ahead, Jesus saw fully that that cup. He saw the true cost and the torment of the cross. He would have to drink that cup of God's wrath. God's holy and just punishment of sin. The ugly sins of millions of lives that deserve punishment of hell. Eternal separation from God. And the only way of salvation for sinners would be if he took the cup of God's wrath and drank it all down to its bitter dregs. And he staggered as he considered that cup and its full horror. Abba, Father, everything is possible for you. Take this cup from me. Gethsemane is the decisive moment in history where our salvation hangs in the balance. If Jesus' prayer had ended then, there, then our eternal destinies are on the line. His mind and his heart were reeling at the thought of all this, and he longed for another way. And then we hear the amazing words, yet not what I will, but what you will. Jesus volunteers to submit his will under his father's and to obediently follow through with the costly plan of salvation. Notice, uh, this is the reverse of Adam, of what he did in the garden. Uh, Adam chose to exert his own will above God's will. He disobediently ate the fruit of the forbidden tree. And the essence of sin is that we disobey God's will and act as if our own will and plan is superior to God himself. That's, that's what sin is. And our salvation turns and hinges on the perfect obedience of Jesus. His sinless life willingly substituted in our place as he determines to be fully obedient here. Now, do you see how serious our sin is before God? Our culture does not get it. Um, a long time ago, there was a great show called 24. Everyone used to watch it. Jack Bauer apparently was lying on his deathbed, a man who understood the importance of extreme violence to get uh, things done, but he had a very guilty conscience because of it. And so he asks a Muslim imam to come and talk with him. And after a brief chat with the imam, the imam said to him, come, let us pray that we may learn to forgive ourselves. Well, that's what the culture thinks of sin, how guilt is to be dealt with. You know, you just forgive yourself and everything's fine. How blasphemous and trivial is such a view of sin to think it doesn't matter. How blasphemous to think that our sin doesn't matter to God. How blasphemous to think that we're good enough for God and all we just have to, have to do is, is, is forgive ourselves. Listen to the prayer of Jesus here. Was there a way that this cup might pass from him? Was there any other way? No. There was no other way. The omnipotent, loving Father, there was no other way. No other person who could drink that cup. Only Jesus. There is still no other way that we can be saved, that we can be right with God, that our sin can be paid for. There's no other way that uh, we can be forgiven and cleansed and, and, and saved. 
It is only by trusting this Jesus who died in our place on the cross. He is the only saviour. And that is why we must proclaim Christ crucified as the only hope to a world that is heading towards that judgment day. And as temptation begins to seduce us to sin, come back to Gethsemane and see the sweat and the tears and the cries of our Savior as he considered drinking that cup down to its bitter dregs. Watch and pray to see the danger of self-confidence. Watch and pray to see the cost of our salvation. And thirdly, watch and pray to see how to withstand temptation. Jesus returns three times in prayerful preparation to remain obedient as this hour of his arrest and inevitable suffering and death will, will follow. Now what a contrast between Jesus and the disciples in Gethsemane. Jesus in anguished prayer. Disciples? Fast asleep. I mean, they were tired. They just had a big meal. Uh, they drank some wine. Verse 40 says that their eyes were heavy, and so they fall asleep. But we need to hear something of the disappointment of Jesus here at his disciples' failure. Simon, are you asleep? Couldn't you keep watch for one hour? All those big boasts from Simon, Peter, and they all agreed. Even if we have to die with you, we will never disown you. Well, Jesus knew that they would not withstand the temptation to deny and run without watchful prayer for themselves. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. They had not counted on their weakness at the, at the time of testing. Um, these verses, I think, teach us the danger of self-reliance. What do the disciples need to do? Watch and pray so you'll not fall into temptation. Uh, they're not to rely on human resources. They need divine power to withstand uh, temptation and trial. And that's why Jesus invited them to watch him, to learn from his example. He was under huge temptation to flee from the Garden of Gethsemane, to choose another option that night. And the only way that he could withstand the temptation was through prayer in complete dependence upon his heavenly Father. They were facing, uh, too, in a moment, a time of great testing. The temptation would come upon them to flee from the garden and deny Jesus or stay with him. They need to watch and pray. Well, are we sleepy disciples? I think that's a big challenge to me. Uh, the alarm goes off and uh, to stir us a bit earlier so we can read our Bible and pray, what do we do? Well, last night was a long night. Too often we're sleepy Christians. Um, why are we so sleepy? Is it that we don't believe that we're going into a spiritual battlefield every day for the Bible tells us that we are? Have we convinced ourselves that by all our subjective songs that we will remain faithful disciples with no prayer and no Bible? We need to watch and pray because look what happens when we fail to prepare in that way. They completely fail the key test of faithfulness to Christ. 
And Mark makes the connection uh, pretty straightforward with the example of Peter, doesn't he? Peter fails uh, to be in watchful prayer three times. So it'd be no surprise to us that he will disown Jesus three times at the crucial time of testing. But look instead at Jesus. Uh, Verse 41, returning the third time, he said to them, are you still sleeping and resting? Enough, the hour has come. Look, the Son of Man is delivered into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us go. Here comes my betrayer. Notice he doesn't say, rise, let us run. My betrayer is at hand, we can get away. Now in this final moment where he could have escaped, he says, now the hour has fully come. And Jesus is fully prepared. He rises from prayer, resolute that he would do his father's will. The son of man will be delivered into the hands of sinners. How incredible for us that he was. Judas comes with a posse of armed men. The sting is sprung by the most twisted signal, betrayed with a kiss. Peter shows some courage by swinging a sword, uh, severing an ear. Uh, He seems ready to fight for Jesus, but actually when he sees Jesus just surrendering himself up, his courage gives way. And um, once more, he reveals that he doesn't understand that the Son of Man must be delivered over to the chief priests and the teachers of the law, and that he must suffer and be killed and three days later rise. They just didn't understand that at all. Uh, They still couldn't get their heads around the idea that the Messiah would suffer, that how could Messiah and suffering go together? He still did not understand Uh, that the scriptures needed to be fulfilled. He was willing to fight, but he wasn't willing to simply suffer. And so they all deserted Jesus and fled. Through fear, through weakness, they desert and deny. Such is the fear and shame that they, like the mysterious man in verses 51 and 52, would rather the shame of running away naked than the shame of being with Jesus. Now, many scholars think that actually this is Mark showing that he was there that night. He was this man. He observed these very events and he's writing himself into the book so we can know he's a witness. Who is it that Jesus dies for? Is it worthy people full of courage and righteousness before God? No. (laughs) Christ dies for sinners. He died for denying disciples. He died for people like me like you. This is biblical realism. It's crazy to only sing songs of what we will do for God and how faithful and loving we will be. We do need a great place for objective songs rather than subjective ones that remind me what Christ has done for me. That's the crucial thing. The saviour that he is in my place. It is Christ and his gospel that I can have at grounds of confidence and assurance, not in myself. The spirit is willing, but the body is weak. Oh, my friends, we need songs that will help us to meditate on what Christ did for us, even as we consider our spiritual weakness. As we look at him in the garden, my friends, as Christians who are trusting him, we can sing out, Hallelujah! What? 
a saviour.